0: Circle, yes we rotate. Three hundred and sixty degrees, ha ha. Three hundred and sixty degrees, ha ha. Three hundred and six, three hundred and six, three hundred and sixty degrees, ha ha.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We are broadcasting from our studios in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. On tonight's show, graduate apprentice Theodora Adkins brings us a black history lesson on Marcus Garvey. She'll share her insight along with archival audio, commentary, some great music, and an update on the movement for a pardon of Marcus Garvey from President Joe Biden. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA.
2: February is Black History Month. The purpose of Black History Month is to honor and acknowledge the many contributions African people throughout the diaspora have made to civilization. It is observed by many Americans throughout the United States. What began as Negro History Week by esteemed historian Carter G. Woodson in 1926 was expanded to an entire month in 1976. Dr. Julius Garvey, the son of Marcus Garvey, along with the Justice for Garvey movement, has chosen Black History Month 2022 to begin a drive to garner 100,000 signatures on a petition to appeal to President Joe Biden to pardon his father, Marcus Garvey, for a wrongful conviction of mail fraud in 1923. It has been nearly 100 years since Marcus Garvey was wrongfully targeted by the United States government and J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, simply because he actively advocated for the liberation of African humans. But in the words of Dr. Julius Garvey, justice can be delayed, but cannot be denied. Today, We're asking President Joe Biden to make atonement for justice denied and delayed for one that many call the black Moses. On a side note, Moses was a black African man. So actually, Marcus Garvey should have been called another black Moses. May I present to you this Black History Month mini documentary as a tribute to the prophet Marcus Mosiah Garvey and his Black nationalist movement we the biggest and most successful black movement we going in history that going
3: we going on ultra black watching the global change hopping the coldest range, hit boy on the beat bitch boast to slap we going ultra black we going we going, we going.
2: Hello, this is Theodora presenting Bring It Forward, Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. You've been listening to Ultra Black by Nas featuring Hit Boy. I invite you to come with me today for a brief glimpse into the revolutionary vision and prophetic voice of marcus garvey's universal negro improvement association known as the unia marcus garvey and his unia is credited as being the biggest black nationalist movement in the united states Fasten your seatbelts, y'all, cause we going unapologetically ultra-black today. We
3: ultra-black, unapologetically black, the opposite of Michael Blackson Black, we
2: ultra-black. Before we launch into Marcus Garvey and the UNIA, let's get some clarity about what black nationalism is. Here's Malcolm X in 1964 describing black nationalism to a newscaster
4: black nationalism, which means that the black man should control the politics of his own community and control the politicians who are in his own community. My personal economic philosophy is uh, also black nationalism, which means that the black man should have a hand in controlling the economy of the so-called Negro community. He should be developing the type of knowledge that will enable him to own and operate the businesses and thereby be able to create employment for his own people, for his own kind. And the uh, social philosophy also is black nationalism, which means that instead of the black man trying to force himself into the society of the white man, we should be trying to eliminate from our own society the ills and the, the defects and make ourselves uh, likable and sociable among our, among our own kind. I'm the poorest man in New York City. Well, I mean for this mosque you're going to build and for your movement. From poor people, poor people. We are going to solicit the support of all of our people. We're going to solicit the, for- the support of everyone. It's just like establishing a church. You establish a church from the uh, contributions of the people who are interested in seeing that particular religious philosophy spread. And we will get support not only from people who are interested in our religious philosophy, we'll get support from those who are interested in our political, economic, and social philosophy, which is black nationalism.
2: This is Theodora presenting Bring It Forward, Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. You just heard Malcolm X talking about black nationalism. Let's listen to Harvard historian Henry Louis Gates' two-minute black history lesson on Marcus Garvey. Over a hundred years ago,
5: the black nationalist movement in America reached an unprecedented level of popularity because of the efforts of the charismatic leader of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, Marcus Garvey. Born in Jamaica, Garvey grew up in poverty. He came to understand race relations through the lens of British colonialism throughout the Caribbean and Latin America. As his thinking matured, he began to formulate a revolutionary social movement. In 1914, he founded the Universal Negro Improvement Association, dedicated to uniting all the black people throughout the world. Two years later, he emigrated to the United States where his powerful message quickly gain traction.
6: We want to unite the Negro in this country. We want every Negro to work for one common object that of building a nation of his own on the great continent of Africa for the purpose of bettering our industrial, commercial, educational, social, and political conditions.
7: He arrives in an era where blacks are still being lynched regularly in the South. Around the same time that movies like Birth of a Nation are showing extraordinarily racist depictions of African-Americans as monsters. You have this really charismatic and dynamic individual, and he's talking about, look, our place is never gonna be here in the United States. It's never gonna be in Europe. It's gonna be in Africa. We need to reclaim Africa. So Garvey is going to be preaching a philosophy of black pride. He's gonna come up with a scheme to repatriate to Africa, and he provides a huge sense of hope for millions of African-Americans. A centerpiece of Garvey's
5: program was the creation of the Black Star Line, a steamship line launched to transport African-Americans who wish to emigrate to Africa.
7: The Black Star Line is this idea that Garvey can buy ships through the support of local African-American people, sending in money so you can have a share in the Black Star Line. And these ships were gonna take thousands of people back to Africa to the colony that Garvey was going to establish. But his advocacy for black
5: Americans to move back to Africa drew the attention of the United States government, and especially J. Edgar Hoover's Federal Bureau of Investigation, which
7: monitored Garvey's movement, seeking grounds for his arrest and deportation. Garvey was growing too powerful. Jagger Hoover is going to hire their first Negro agents to uh, subvert Marcus Garvey and eventually they're going to say that he's been committing mail fraud with the Black Star Line scheme. He's eventually tried, arrested, placed in jail in 1925. He's deported in 1927 and he's never allowed to return to the United States. He dies in London in 1940.
5: Garvey's legacy as the father of the modern Back to Africa movement, cannot be underestimated. He created the largest popular political movement in the history of black America and would be an inspiration both to the anti-colonial movement and black nationalist leaders throughout the remainder of the century.
2: That was Henry Louis Gates speaking about Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey, described as a stocky, dark-skinned black man, was born and raised in Jamaica. After traveling throughout the diaspora, he noticed all African people were living in the same oppressive conditions. In 1916, he came to America to raise funds to build a school in Jamaica similar to Booker T. Washington's Tuskegee Institute. He never intended to stay here. Yet, during his time in this country, he was able to build the UNIA, which is the largest black nationalist movement the United States had ever seen. Here's a rare 1921 recording of Marcus Garvey speaking about the purpose of the UNIA.
6: Fellow citizens of Africa, I greet you in the name of the Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League of the World. You may ask, what organization is that? It is for me to inform you that the Universal Negro Improvement Association is an organization that seeks to unite into one solid body the 400 million Negroes of the world, the link of the 15 million Negroes of the United States of America with the 20 million Negroes of the West Indies, the 40 million Negroes of South and Central America with the 280 million Negroes of Africa, for the purpose of bettering our industrial, commercial, educational, social and political conditions. As you are aware, the world in which we live today is divided into separate race groups and distinct nationalities. Each race and each nationality is endeavouring to work out its own destiny to the exclusion of other races and other nationalities. We hear the cry of England for the Englishman, of France for the Frenchman, of Germany for the German, of Ireland for the Irish, of Palestine for the Jews, of Japan for the Japanese, of China for the Chinese. We of the Universal Negro Movement Association are raising the cry of Africa for the Africans, those at home and those abroad. There are 400 million Africans in the world who have Negro blood coursing through their veins. And we believe that the time has come to unite these 400 million people for the one common purpose of bettering their conditions. The great problem of the Negro for the last 500 years has been that of this unity. No one or no organization ever succeeded in uniting the Negroes. But within the last four years, the Universal Negro Improvement Association has worked wonders in bringing together in one phone 4 million organized Negroes who are scattered in all parts of the world. Being in the 48 states of the American Union, all the West Indian Islands, and the countries of South and Central America and Africa, these 4 million people are working to convert the rest of the 400 million scattered all over the world And it is for this purpose that we are asking you to join our hands and to do the best you can to help us to bring about an emancipated race. If anything praiseworthy is to be done, it must be done through unity. And it is for that reason that the Universal Negro Improvement Association calls upon every Negro in the United States to rally to its standards. We want to unite the Negro race in this country. We want every Negro to work for one common object that of building a nation of his own on the great continent of Africa. That all Negroes all over the world are working for the establishment of a government in Africa means that it will be realized in another few years. We want the moral and financial support of every Negro to make the dream a possibility. Already, this organization has established itself in Nigeria, West Africa, and is endeavoring to do all possible to develop that Negro country to become a great industrial and commercial commonwealth. Pioneers have been sent by this organization to Nigeria, and they are now laying the foundations upon which the 400 million Negroes of the world will build. If you believe that the Negro has a soul, if you believe that the Negro is a man, if you believe the Negro was endowed with the senses commonly given to other men by the Creator, then you must acknowledge that what other men have done, Negroes can do. We want to build up cities, nations, governments, industries of our own in Africa, that will be able to have a to rise from the lowest to the highest position in the African Commonwealth.
2: Marcus Garvey's UNIA and his African Communities League was headquartered in the heart of Harlem from 1918 to 1927. The motto of the organization was and still is One God, One Aim, One Destiny. Marcus Garvey purchased Liberty Hall in 1919, where UNIA meetings were held weekly. Those meetings were very similar to church services. He purchased other buildings, factories, a hotel, grocery stores, restaurants, a printing plant, and more. He employed over 200 Negroes. The UNIA hosted elaborate parades and held huge conventions. Garvey established the Black Star Line by selling $500,000 of common stock for $5 a share. The stock sold very quickly. The Black Star Line purchased steamships to transport formerly enslaved Africans back to Africa. And because of the terrorism and oppression they faced in America, many Negroes were eager to sign up. The black nationalist seed Garvey planted in the late 19th century took root and thrived during the Harlem Renaissance. As the old saying goes, timing is everything. And the Harlem Renaissance, also known as the New Negro Movement, was ripe for Garvey's message. His call to black nationalism and a return to Africa resonated with many Negroes of the era. Here's Dr. John Enrique Clark, Pan-Africanist, historian, professor, and author, speaking about the legacy of Marcus Garvey. We
8: belong to the same African family, no matter what island you came from, what part of Georgia you came from, or what part of Africa you came from. And that is the essential message that Marcus Garvey was trying to get across to you. One God, one aim, one destination. And when you can't understand that, you betray Marcus Garvey. He called for the unity and the redemption of the African world. We were not ready to listen then. There is wonder whether we are ready to listen now, he was not only ahead of his time, he was ahead of this time. Here in the United States, what is happening? The Jim Crow laws, vast race riots all over the world. We were catching hell. The scene was being prepared for Marcus Garvey 100 years before his emergence in the United States. Now Marcus Garvey's message is getting across. He goes to Chicago and tells blacks they don't want you here. Not only let's get out of here and go back to Africa, our home. Let's get our own boats and sail back on our own steam. We listen to anything now. Can you understand why we would listen? We are ready for anything by virtue of what we have to deal with. Marcus Garvey said, "Come on, let's 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 get our ships and get the hell out of here." Yeah. We said, "All right, all right, all right. <laughs> let's go." Now you can see why the largest organization ever built is built by Marcus Garvey, mainly the black American following and black American money.
2: Marcus Garvey amassed such a huge following that it threatened other black leaders of the era, as well as posing a threat to the United States government. Let's listen to the words of activist Roy Wilkins, performed by Hugo Anamelechi in the 2016 documentary film, In the Hour of Chaos, describing the rift between Garvey, W.E.B. Du Bois, and other leaders of the era.
9: Marcus Garvey's success alarmed black leaders as well as white prosecutors. He stirred feelings like a black Moses and raised money like a black Croesus. The problem was he made enemies like a black Kaiser. In those days, I agreed with A. Philip Randolph, who gave credit to Garvey as a tremendous organizer. While attacking his autocratic ways and his talk of empire at the time when most Negroes were still struggling manfully to make democracy work, Garvey Must Go was a slogan that turned up regularly in the pages of The Messenger, the magazine that Randolph edited with Chandler Rowan one point there were rumors that Garvey had been dickering with the Ku Klux Klan. Randolph jumped all over him and UNIA. In The Crisis, I watched W.E.B. Du Bois try to come to terms with Garvey, but then Garvey denounced him as purely and simply a white man's nigger. In a few years, Du Bois was calling Garvey, dangerous enemy of the Negro race in America. Even so, Marcus Garvey commanded an awesome power to raise broken spirits and to reach that nine-tenths of the black population the boys' talented tenth left out.
2: Welcome back to Bring It Forward, Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. I'm Theodora. We just heard about the division that took place during the 1920s Harlem Renaissance between Marcus Garvey and W.E.B. Du Bois and others. Marcus Garvey had and continues to have a tremendous impact on many African people throughout the world. From Bob Marley, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., John Henry Clark, Nelson Mandela, just to name a few. Here's Bob Marley talking about Marcus Garvey.
10: Marcus was a prophet, man. Marcus Garvey tells us that we must look to the east, to the king. I a lot of things Marcus Garvey said, and a lot of it come to pass. And some still live, and everyone see it. I mean, get more more stronger, you know, in reality. As everything we at that time <coughs> happened today,
11: and everyone see it happening. Well played.
10: All pirates, yes, they rob I sold I to the merchant ship. It's after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs. Yourselves from mental slavery, none but ourselves can free our mind. Whoa, oh, have no fear for atomic energy. Cause none of them can stop at the time. How long shall they kill our prophets? While we stand aside and look, yes, some say it's songs, these songs of freedom, songs of freedom.
2: Let's listen to Malcolm X speaking about Marcus Garvey.
13: Marcus Garvey was the first black man to come into this country and get a mass movement, a an allegiance, support of the masses of black people. Why? Because Garvey didn't care what the white man thought. Garvey didn't care how the white man felt. Garvey had the feelings of the black man at heart. Garvey had the hopes and aspirations of the black man at heart. And the black masses detected this. They felt this. They were conscious of this. So they gave Garvey uh, uh, their support. And anyone today who can get a following among the masses of black people in this country is immediately labeled by the United States government as un-American as seditious, as subversive, as Marcus Garvey was labeled un-American, as seditious and subversive. Any black man who has the true intention of solving the problem of the masses of black people in this country, the government itself will try and trick that man and trap that man and frame that man, and usually he'll do it by these Uncle Tom Negro leaders whom the government has set up. The Negro intellectual was against Garvey. The Negro professional,
2: Let's listen to Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Marcus Garvey talk about the roadmap to economic empowerment for African people.
14: American Negro collectively is richer than most nations of the world. We have an annual income of more than $30 billion a year, which is more than all of the exports of the United States and more than the national budget of Canada. Did you know that? That's power right there
15: if we know how to pool. We should own and operate and control the economy of our community. We have to become involved in a program of re-education to educate our people into the importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live, The community uh, in which you spend your money becomes richer and richer. The community out of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. And because these Negroes, who have been misled, misguided, are breaking their necks to take their money and spend it with the man, the man is becoming richer and richer, and you're becoming poorer and poorer. And then what happens? The community in which you live becomes a slum. It becomes a ghetto. The conditions become run down. And then you have the audacity to com- to complain about poor housing in a rundown community.
12: Why you run it down yourself
14: when you
15: take your dollars.
12: We've
14: got to strengthen black institutions. I call upon you to take your money out of the banks downtown and deposit your money in Tri-State Bank. We are telling you to follow what we are doing. Put your money there you have six or seven black insurance companies here, take out your insurance there. Now, these are some practical things that we can do. We begin the process of building a great economic base. We've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. We've got to see it through.
15: So our people not only have to be uh, reeducated to the importance of supporting black business, but the black man himself, has to be uh, made aware of the importance of going into business. And once you and I go into business, we own and operate at least the businesses in our community. What we will be doing is developing a situation wherein we will actually be able to create employment for the people in the community.
14: The black man must unite in one grand racial hierarchy, mm-hmm. making a racial
6: empire upon which the sun shall never set. Be black, buy black, black, and all of will take care of itself. <laughs>
2: In 1923, Marcus Garvey was accused and convicted of mail fraud for advertising ships he didn't yet own as part of his Black Star Line fleet. He was sentenced to five years in prison. President Calvin Coolidge commuted Garvey's sentence in 1927, and he was deported back to Jamaica. In 1935, Marcus Garvey moved from Jamaica to London, where he died in 1940. He never set foot in Africa. In June of 2016, the son of Marcus Garvey, 86-year-old Dr. Julius Garvey, a vascular surgeon and medical professor, petitioned President Barack Obama to grant a pardon for his father. Thousands signed the petition, and the tremendous worldwide support for the pardon was overwhelming. In 2015, during a trip to Jamaica, President Obama was asked by Jamaican Prime Minister Portia Simpson-Miller to offer an official pardon of Garvey. Let's listen to an interview with Dr. Julius Garvey about the petition.
12: This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Shaikh. Today, we look at another request for a presidential pardon, this one from the family of Marcus Garvey, a pioneering figure in the black freedom struggle in the early 20th century who inspired generations of civil rights activists around the world. In the 1920s, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover targeted Garvey for his political activity as a leader of the Pan-African movement. Garvey was convicted in 1923 on a charge of mail fraud and sentenced to five years in jail. His charges and conviction effectively ended Garvey's political movement and eventually led to his deportation back to Jamaica. This is Marcus Garvey's son, Dr. Julius Garvey, of the Justice for Garvey movement, speaking in August.
16: The civil rights movement started with Marcus Garvey. That's acknowledged by Brother Malcolm. It's acknowledged by Martin Luther King. And it's acknowledged by anybody who knows history. The president stands on that foundation. So, we think that the time is now to exonerate Marcus Garvey by a presidential posthumous pardon. And that's why we're here. Thank you.
12: Dr. Julius Garvey is a cardiothoracic and vascular surgeon who's leading the Justice for Garvey effort, seeing a posthumous presidential pardon for his father, the civil rights leader Marcus Garvey. So, Julius Garvey, can you tell us uh, what happened to him and what you're calling for now, and whether you think there's any prospect that Obama will grant uh, a posthumous pardon?
16: Yes. Well, basically, he was uh, targeted by J. Edgar Hoover of the uh, FBI. As early as uh, 1919, he called him a a Negro agitator up in Harlem, who was agitating for um, uh, radical measures of uh, uplifting uh, African people. So he infiltrated um, my father's organization. The the first um, uh, uh, black FBI agent um, was hired at that point in time to infiltrate the organization, and there were many others. Um, So— Hoover and the Justice Department were, were looking for some means to to criminalize Marcus Garvey so that he could be deported, because he was an, an immigrant. He, he had filed his first papers, but there were— um, keeping him from becoming a full citizen every time he left the country and so on. They wouldn't grant him visas to come back in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he, he, he had an attempt on his life um, by someone who, who came into the, the Liberty Hall, um, shot three shots at him, uh, two sort of hit him, grazed him, um, one in his leg. Uh, that person ended up, quotes, committing suicide within 24 hours after he was arrested in prison. So, you know, he said he wasn't going to take the rap for himself. So there was a concern effort, you know, by whomever, but we do know also Jay J. Edgar Hoover, and um, they were trying everything. Um, the Man Act, of course, you know, transporting a woman across the state land—the woman was my mother, his wife— Of course, she wasn't my my mother yet at that point in time, which was his wife. Um, They were looking at him for tax evasion, you know, and they were looking at him, well, about the Black Star Line, which was his uh, uh, signature uh, economic project to trade between Africa, the Caribbean, and the Mm -hmm. United States. So, again, you know, the the whole idea was a political uh, trial to destroy him and hence destroy the movement. Have
12: you heard from the White House?
16: No, we have not heard back anything from the White House.
2: I hope you've enjoyed the Sankofa moment, remembering Marcus Garvey and the Black Nationalist Movement. By the way, Sankofa is an African word from the Akan tribe in Ghana that prompts us to examine our history, fetch the wisdom from the past, bring that knowledge forward into the present, and use the lessons learned to propel us to a brighter future. This is Theodora encouraging you to find your right mind preserve your sanity and always protect your humanity. Be safe out there.
3: I don't
10: want to write this down I don't want to tell you how I feel right now I don't want to take no time to write this down I don't want to tell you how I feel right now Tomorrow may never come For you or me, life is not Tomorrow may never show up For you and me this life is not
2: You may be asking yourselves why we should care about a pardon for Marcus Garvey. His wrongful conviction happened nearly 100 years ago. Why should we concern ourselves with this matter when we have so many other pressing issues on our plates? I'm concerned because I prescribe to the concept of Sankofa. Our ancestors had the answers that we seek today. We simply have to bring forward what they told us centuries ago and act on it. Let's listen to a conversation between journalist and cultural critic Mark Lamont Hill and Howard University professor Dr. Greg Carr discussing this issue on a recent broadcast of Black News Tonight of the Black News Channel.
0: Descendants of black revolutionary leader Marcus Garvey are seeking a posthumous pardon from the Biden administration. Garvey, founder of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, or the UNIA, encouraged pride among African Americans and those throughout the African diaspora. When the worldwide activist caught the attention of the FBI, he became a target. The FBI sent their first black undercover agent to spy on Garvey, and in 1923, the pan-African leader was convicted of mail fraud. The family of Garvey is applying pressure to the Biden administration in the hopes that the president will keep his promise of correcting historical injustices as they believe Garvey was wrongfully convicted. Joining us now to discuss this is Dr. Greg Carr. He's an associate professor of Africana Studies at Howard University. Dr. Carr, welcome to Black News tonight. Uh, Marcus Garvey died over 81 years ago. There are some people that are going to say, why y'all worried about something that already happened? Even if it's true that he got railroaded, which it is, even if it's true that they plotted against him, which they did, what difference does it make now? Why put the energy there? What do you say?
1: Well,
3: I I kind of feel that way too, Mark, quite frankly. Um, but for me, it's very simple. Um, I know Dr. Garvey, Julius Garvey, uh, Marcus and Amy Jacks Garvey's surviving uh, son. Um, he wants it, so I want it. It's just that simple. I don't give a damn about the United States government. And they were wrong. In fact, at the time that Coolidge um, uh, commuted Garvey's sentence—he was in Atlanta Penitentiary—and deported him in 1927, Calvin Coolidge, President Coolidge's own attorney general, said that the case had been overstated. This came down to young Jagger, who was trying to make a name for himself, cutting his eye teeth on surveillance of Black folk, uh, in, in collusion with international forces. The Garvey movement had spread throughout Africa. It was the largest movement of Black folk in the world. And, you know, now, you know, Barack Obama missed an opportunity, Uh, Dr. Garvey and and, and all his supporters, including me, uh, approached the government, of attorney in 2016. He missed then. Uh, John Conyers had introduced uh, resolutions as early as the 1980s, Charles Rangel in 2009. So to see Representative Yvette Clark now, you know, lining up to introduce a resolution, you know, this is a no-brainer for Biden. My question, quite frankly, is why wouldn't Barack Obama do the easy thing? and that's just an open question for me
0: (laughs) that's one of them questions i know you a professor that's one of them questions you ask and you know the answer (laughs) yes sir he he ain't that black brother (laughs) but (laughs) that was easy you know
3: normally i would put on some clothes brother but i had to rep my black star line uh hoodie that i got on 125th street many years ago mark because uh this is this is easy
16: brother
0: yeah, no, it is, and 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 for those that don't know, uh, the Black Star Line was in fact uh, a product of Marcus Garvey, and the idea that the Black Star Line uh, was as as a ship to bring black folk back to Africa as part of a a, a project of reimagining black political possibility that black folk could re uh, develop themselves or, or or replant themselves on the continent of Africa, and of course there's a long complicated story about what that ended up looking like that we could talk about as well, but. The government wasn't about that, right? Jericho Hoover was spying on Marcus Garvey and just looking for a way to get him deported because of what the UNIA was doing. And it seemed to me, uh, Greg, that it it was paving the way for how the FBI would later target other civil rights leaders uh, and black freedom fighters. Absolutely.
3: The playbook for COINTELPRO in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, the playbook for this Black identity extremism that we see being pushed now even in the federal government today, even the playbook for the surveillance in the 1940s. Here we are on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, and they want to talk about the Black people who fought in the war. Maybe you want to talk about J. Edgar Hoover and the racial conditions memo he wrote in World War II when he had Black people under surveillance. It all comes back to Hoover and Marcus Garvey. Hell, even in uh, what was it, Boardwalk Empire, when you see the great Jeffrey Wright playing Valentin Narcisse, you see this uh, J. Edgar Hoover character obsessed with Cyril Briggs and Marcus Garvey. It's all about surveillance of black folk. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, right there in Harlem, where Garvey set up his first chapter of the UNIA, uh, there was a sister who, like you, a fellow uh, bookstore owner, Una Malzak. remember Liberation Bookstore? I got a copy of yeah. Una Molzak. You know what I'm saying? Sister Yuna put in my hand a copy of A Star to Steer By. That was the autobiography of her father, Hugh Molzak, who was the captain of the SS Yarmouth, which was one of the three ships that the UNIA purchased. The Yarmouth was the one that would go to the Caribbean, and they would load up with stock, with, with cargo to bring back to New York to sell fruit and things like that. They couldn't leave the dock, because what Captain Molzak said was folk would bring their children down to the dock to see this ship. Staffed by black men operating, and Garvey, they would cable New York, and Garvey would be like, you know, what if the fruit rots, whatever, let them see, because I want them to see the possibilities of black life. The U.N.I. owned three ships, and when the feds got Garvey, they convicted him with the testimony of uh, of a witness who wasn't in the original indictment, who couldn't show that he had ever bought any stock. The only piece of evidence introduced into evidence was an empty envelope that was said to have had a, a stock certificate in it, and the other three defendants were exonerated and found not guilty, and nine of the 12 jurors, after they convicted him, signed a petition to have the president of the United States uh, vacate the sentence. So this is low-hanging fruit, man. Again, Barack Obama, brother. I know you love call that brother the Black president, but, uh, yeah, whatever. Joe Biden, <laughs> do
0: the right thing. <laughs> do the right thing, Joe. <laughs> Look, hope, hopefully, hopefully Joe will do the right thing, because this is—for me, this is an opportunity to open up not a conversation about uh uh avenging the the name or the legacy of, of, of Marcus Garvey. Black folk have done that for ourselves. Can't no white man, can't no government, can't no state do that for us. It's up to us to honor the legacy of Marcus Garvey. But I do think when you talk about the SS Yarmouth, we could talk about the SS Frederick Douglass that came after that. We could talk right. about the idea of a company that I mean, had a, had a capitalization, what, $10 million, which is, like, worth a couple hundred million now. You're talking about uh, the, the, the possibility, the living possibility of black do-for-self economics. And the Black Star line and the trading company that it produced was was, was about—I mean, it was about black people producing for self, trading, shipping, uh, doing so much, and then ultimately us, ourselves repatriating to Africa. I mean, this was a, a vision that was so ahead of its time, and I hope, I really hope— that in the conversation about partnering him, whether they do it or not, will remind black folk that we can do for ourselves, for us, by us, and that we can revive that legacy and memory moving forward. That's what I really care
2: about. Perhaps if we had listened to and moved forward with what Marcus Garvey had proposed for our liberation back in the 1920s, we wouldn't be in the situation that we currently find ourselves so deeply immersed in. There is a way out for us. And it is very simple, though not easy. Unity combined with a real education can uplift all of us. Dr. Carter G. Woodson published The Miseducation of the Negro in 1933. He, like Marcus Garvey, understood the value of reading, studying, and learning every day. What you don't know can ultimately destroy you. Let's listen to Howard University Professor Greg Carr remembering Marcus Garvey's advice about the value of reading and studying.
3: Marcus Garvey, The Message to the People, The Course of African Philosophy, it's edited by my good friend, now ancestor, Tony Martin, the great Trinidadian scholar, uh, who edited the new Marcus Garvey Library, which is nine volumes of work by and about Marcus Garvey and the UNIA. Um, chapter one, in fact, this is the copy signed for me when I got it. I guess it was 1991. Chapter one is all about reading and study. It's very important. Lesson one, intelligence, education, universal knowledge, and how to get it. Garvey opens the book by saying you must never stop learning. The world's greatest men and women were people who educated themselves outside of the university with all the knowledge that the university gives. And you have the opportunity of doing the same thing university student do, students, students do read and study. Very important to understand. He talks about never stopping reading. Always, if you've got 10 minutes somewhere, stop and read. Easier to do now than perhaps in garbage time. Read the best poetry. Read the best prose for inspiration. Uh, read history incessantly until you master it. He says, don't read just stuff you agree with. Read all sides and never talk about something you don't know anything about because there's always somebody that's going to clown you or make other people laugh at you. Read at least four hours a day, he says. Um, Never keep the constant company of folks who don't know as much as you because you lose the opportunity to learn from them and to exchange knowledge with them. Very important. He says, continue that application and that desire to accomplish greatness. We study because we can't live in one lifetime everything we need to know. So we use the intelligence of others through study. We gain all that knowledge. Anything you're going to challenge, you must know something about it if you want to defeat it. He talks about how to read. He says, in reading, it's not necessary or compulsory to agree with everything or to know everything. Keep a dictionary with you. All these things are important. Uh, Get this. Sankofa.com sells it. It's by a black publisher. It's sold at black institutions. And it really talks about a brother uh, who was part of an organization that believed in black self-determination and intellectual work is the foundation for that. I'll see y'all later. Have a good day. We'll talk more later.
2: to ask myself, was Marcus Garvey wrong? Let's listen to the current president of Ghana, Nana Akufo-Addo, speaking about the legacy of Marcus Garvey and what he means to Ghana.
11: Fellow Africans and citizens of the world, if there is one country in Africa and indeed in the entire world which has been influenced by the life and work of Marcus Garvey, it must be Ghana. The first president of our nation, the man who led us in the final phase of our battle for freedom, the legendary Kwame Nkrumah, was a self-confessed apostle of Marcus Gavi and fell under his guidance during his student days in the United States of America in the 1930s. The first national shipping line of our country was named by him the Black Star Line, in deliberate emulation of the Black Star Line, the shipping line established by Marcus Garvey in 1919 to assist in the repatriation of Africans in the United States to their homeland in Africa and to be the vehicle of trade between the two continents. Again, the proud national flag of our country has the Black Star as its centerpiece Ghana's debt to Marcus Garvey is thus inescapable today we're gathered all across the world to commemorate the hundredth anniversary of the holding of Marcus Garvey's Convention of the Negro Peoples of the World in New York at that seminal event the Declaration of Rights of the Negro Peoples of the World was adopted. There can be little doubt about the impetus of the struggle for decolonization and independence that this convention provided. Indeed, the convention, whose 100th anniversary we are commemorating, was one of the critical events in the unfolding emergence of the Pan African movement. A century on, The vision of an Africa free from colonialism, which was one of the main objects of the holding of the Convention, has effectively been realized, and the continent must always remain thankful for its intervention. But I have no doubt that Marcus Garvey, and indeed the 2,000 delegates who attended the Convention, wanted more than just to fulfill the dreams of political freedom and independence of their peoples, important as that was. The promise, implicit in the drive for liberation, was that freedom would inspire the rapid enhancement of the quality of life of the African peoples, and indeed, of all black people around the world, and banish the specter of mass poverty bequeathed to the African people by the long period of colonial exploitation. Alas, that has not happened for a variety of reasons, some of which do not do us credit. Be that as it may, our generation has an opportunity to rededicate ourselves towards attaining the goals of guaranteeing the liberties and freedoms of the African people employing the immeasurable wealth of Africa to satisfy the needs of the African peoples by resisting the continuous exploitation of her resources by external agencies, eradicating mass poverty in Africa and promoting the prosperity, dignity, and unity of the African peoples. The name of Marcus Gavi will continue to bear testimony to the necessity of the African peoples on both sides of the Atlantic coming together in mutual solidarity to advance the interests and objectives of black people everywhere in the world. We should never forget the immemorial words of the great Jamaican reggae musician. Peter Tosh who said, don't care where you come from, if you're black, you're an African. I'm an incurable optimist and believe in our capacity to reach these goals. And in doing so, I'm comforted by the words again of Marcus Garvey when he said, the black skin is not a badge of shame, but rather a glorious symbol of national greatness. I am confident we in Africa and indeed all black peoples across the world can achieve the greatness which our forefathers, with Marcus Garvey in the Vanguard, dreamt of, and for which some paid the ultimate sacrifice if we work together. We can do it. May God continue to bless Marcus Mosiah Gave, Mother Africa, and us all. I thank you for your attention. I
2: wish you a successful teleform Please consider going to justiceforgarvey dot org to learn how to sign the petition to appeal to President Joe Biden to pardon Marcus Garvey. Now, our future may depend on it. I hope you've enjoyed this black African American history broadcast, just like most deaf. I, too, just want us to be free. This is Theodora encouraging you to find your right mind, preserve your sanity, and always protect your humanity. Be safe out there.
10: Get brighter, ooh, child. Things are gonna get easier, ooh, child. Things are get brighter. Someday, yeah, we'll put it together. Ooh, child, things are gonna be easier. Ooh, child, things will be brighter.
1: And that brings us to the end of tonight's show remember to check out our website kpfaapprentice.org just after the show to learn more about all the topics from tonight's show also always consider donating what you can to kpfa just go to kpfa.org support we can't do this without our community support also We are accepting applications to join the next group of apprentices till the end of February. So you still have time. Just go to KPFAapprentice.org and click on the Apply tab. Shout out to the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Joy Moore is our production consultant and me, Freewell and Franklin. I am the technical director of this show full circle and i have also been your host tonight everyone remember while you're out there please protect your health and also your humanity and stay tuned to kpfa up next is londa bajita good night everyone